Um, and then another thing that I have to address that uh, was gratefully pointed out to me by my amazing chiropractor the other day, I may not be pregnant, but I have gained sympathy weight. So, <laughs> so uh, just to let you know, if you see me a little plumper, a little glowy, you know, that's because my wife and I are carrying a baby, and apparently sympathy weight is a real thing. So uh, pray for us as we have a baby, and I realize that I'm a part of the process. So with that said, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Tommy, and I just hope that you realize that I joke, I make fun, I don't take myself too seriously, but I really do take Jesus and the gospel seriously. And so as you're here tonight, I want to welcome you. If you're first time here, if, if you're here checking church out and you don't know what you're thinking about the whole God thing, like, I get it. And it's okay. And we're glad that you're here. And thank you for being here. But with that said, I want to encourage you to be a part of what God is trying to do among us tonight. And the easiest way to do that is if you have your program, if you want to take notes throughout the service, we're going to be walking through God's word together. And if you want to write your own notes or if you have your smartphone, I would encourage you to text that number, text that number, text the word hi to our text in number so that you can keep all the notes with you. Everything that we talk about tonight is going to be on the Bible app. You can take it home with you. You can save it. Or if you want to write your own notes in the app, you can do that as well. And I really encourage that because it's a great way for you to keep and maybe even share what you're learning tonight. So with that said, what we're doing is we're in a series called Losing Our Religion. And the idea of this series is we are walking through the book of Galatians every single week. So this week we're walking through chapter 3, and the last several weeks, the book of Galatians is a letter from the Apostle Paul that he's writing to men and women in the Galatia area, and he's helping them to understand a major critical point that is being completely assaulted against. It is being beaten up, it is being bruised, and it is being conflicted, which is the truth of the foundation of the church, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And so to kind of help us understand, whenever I teach, I kind of use an analogy to help us track as we're getting ready for the passage. And so what I want you to understand is that the faith that we have, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your faith is founded in faith alone. It's not by works. It's not by what you can do. It's not how much you can pay or how much you can serve the city. It is by what Jesus did and by the faith that you place in the name of Jesus Christ. But what happens for all of us is we miss this analogy and we miss this important principle because we complicate it. And so what I want to do is just make it as simple as possible, but I want us to understand the depth of how important this principle is. And so faith, for example, for some of us, needs to be calibrated in our brains as the idea of a bridge. And for some of you, if you were paying attention to the news this past weekend, this was the one-year anniversary of the FIU pedestrian bridge collapse over in the Sweetwater area. Some of you might have gone to FIU. Some of you might have friends that go to FIU. And, and I want to make sure that I'm very clear. I am not going to use this tragedy as a way to exploit it. What I want to do is I want to help us understand because this bridge is personal to me. Because, first of all, I want you to understand the importance of a solid bridge. If you believe in Jesus, that solid bridge is the thing that connects you from being a separated, eternally condemned person to being a welcomed, adopted son or daughter of God. And if you don't have the strong bridge of faith, your faith is not sound. And sadly, we learned that by this situation that happened at FIU. 
I'm not going to go into the details. I'm not going to go into the whole logistics of it. But I just want us to understand that this bridge was an experimental bridge that was put together through a new assembly pattern to be able to connect two points to make pedestrians safer to travel over the highway. And but what happened was they were experimenting. They were trying. They were using different methods. And the methods weren't sound to the point that the bridge, as it was established, collapsed on itself. And now let's look at the earthly consequences of what happened. First, an unsound bridge led to the collapse of an investment product or project that was supposed to be beneficial to the student community of FIU, but not only did it collapse, it took the lives of people in our community. And not only for that moment, there are some people that maybe know someone, and for me, this is personal because I, I've served as a pastor in Miami in many different capacities, and I have some different relationships, so I reached out to a friend of mine who's a chaplain at FIU, and I said, hey, man, is there anything that you need or anything that we can do? And he said, hey, we actually have a gap in, in counseling coverage for a couple hours. Could you come over? And so I come over, and I start driving. All of a sudden, I get a text message that, hey, man, just to give you a heads up, one of the families just identified their family members under the bridge just to give you a heads up about what you're gonna walk into. So next thing you know, I walk in and I see the family, but all of a sudden I see this one person that I think I recognize. And it turns out it's actually a friend of mine from my student pastor days. I became really good friends with a local principal and it turned out that one of the victims of the collapse was his cousin. And so what I want us to understand is that it, this wasn't just some structural failure this is a structural failure that took the lives of people in our community. And not only did it take the lives of people in our community, those lives are no longer here. There are people that they celebrated their first Christmas without that loved one, their first New Year's, and now they're about to celebrate the second year of the new normal. But that's just an earthly understanding of an eternal principle. If we don't have a sound faith, if our bridge of faith in Jesus is not sound, not only will it collapse, but not just lives will be lost, your life will be eternally lost. We have to understand the gravity of how important faith is. It's not just something that we say that we have, because how many of us have ever thrown out this statement? Oh, don't worry, I'm going to get through it. I've got faith. And it's just kind of like this esoteric idea that you almost kind of condition yourself to say, but faith is not a thing, faith is a person. Faith is the son of God, and we need to understand that. And so that's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to help the people of Galatia. And just so you understand, I've got a map if I want you to see a little bit. This is the, the region of Galatia that's going to come up in a second. This is what's known as modern-day Turkey, but in the biblical times, this was known as Asia Minor. This was a great through, uh, thoroughfare for many people going through Spain, Italy, Rome, all the way to the Middle East through Jerusalem and all the greater areas of Egypt. So there was a lot of people in this region, and Paul is writing to the people of Galatia. He's writing to them, particularly to the people, a part of the church of Galatia, to help them to understand that there have been some false teachers and some really bad distortions of the doctrine of God coming into this church. And so Paul is trying to address this issue because if this issue is not created firmly, then what happens is, is we go into this idea of trying to earn our salvation by ourselves. And let me be very clear. You cannot earn salvation. It is a gift that is freely given to us. 
but we need to recognize that principle. And so if you have your phone, if you want to follow along in the app, or if you have your program with you, what I like to do is I like to walk through the Word and kind of help us understand the different ideas that are coming from this passage. And so what Paul's about to do is he's about to go into some really hard words for the Galatian people. So he does a little bit of smack talk. If you were paying attention during the reading, like he throws the word fool out there. So let's kind of understand what's happening here. And so Galatians 3.1, Paul says this, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, so I don't recommend like name calling and smack talking like really early, especially if like you're a spiritual person. Like, you know, as a pastor, I probably shouldn't run around and call people fools. You know, that probably would have a bad connotation. And next thing you know, I'd be on a blog for being a jerk. So, but I would encourage you to recognize that what Paul is trying to do is he's not using a slanderous word. He's actually using a word to describe their condition. And so Paul uses the word fool in its original context. The word fool is the idea that someone is not willing to understand what is actually happening. It's like willfully being ignorant. You know that statement, ignorance is bliss? This is that concept. It's the idea that these Galatian people who have heard the clear good news of Jesus Christ, that his death, burial, and resurrection paid for all sins for all time for all people, that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. That good news was complicated by the context of that day. And so this movement of Christ's followers came out and was birthed out of the movement of Judaism. And so with Judaism, there's this idea of continual adherence to the Torah or the law. And so what was happening is Paul was addressing in chapters 1 and 2, he's trying to explain to these people that just because you grew up in the traditions of Judaism doesn't mean we take the law, the Torah, and we apply it to those that have never followed it. So if you believe in the Torah, if you are a follower of Yahweh, do not take the past of your tradition and impose it on the reality of the gospel. And so that's what he's trying to do. Is he's trying to help people walk back this idea that, Belief and works will get you saved. So that's what he's doing. He's saying, I've told you this before, you bunch of fools, not trying to be a jerk, that's just how you are right now, you are being foolish because you know better than this. You know that it's the gospel, the good news, the receiving of the gift. It's not what can you do, can you do to earn salvation, it's what's been done for your salvation. And so, continuing forward, this idea that Paul is going to move through. He's going to continue in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 2, and he starts with this idea of using rhetorical questions. And many of us have been in a situation before where you get somebody to ask you a question, and it's really not they want you to answer the question. They just want you to hear the question to let you know how stupid you are. This is what Paul's about to do. He says to them, starting in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Again, throwing that fool war back at them. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then he takes this really interesting turn in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness... Okay, if you don't understand the context, it's like, yo, why did you bring Abraham into this? Nobody was talking about Abraham. Abraham wasn't a part of the conversation. Why did you bring him into this? It's like, don't bring my mama into this. This ain't going to work. 
So what he's doing is he's helping the people to understand that Abraham is a central figure to these people, to the foundations of faith, because Abraham is the father of the Israelite people. And what typically is known in the traditions of Abraham, or back in the day before he was Abraham, he was known as Abram, he was a man that was counted as righteous according to the culture because he was willing to do such amazing works. But what Paul is going to do is he's going to walk it back and he's going to say, that's not true at all. According to the scriptures, we know why Abraham was counted as righteous. He was counted as righteous because what God called him to do, he was willing to place his faith and believe in God. And so we see this happen, and he uses this by helping them to understand in the next set of verses. In Galatians 3, verse 7, he says it like this, Know then it was those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are among the blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to help us to understand that the gospel, the good news of a redeemer was preached back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about this first gospel. And if you're familiar with church history, maybe you've been around church world for a while, there's this kind of Latin phrase known as the proto-evangelion. It's this idea of the first gospel or the first declaration of the good news, which is the good news that was declared that there was going to be a serpent that was going to strike the healer on his heel, but that healer was going to crush the serpent under his heel. But then this is a gospel that was declared back in Genesis chapter 15. This was declared when Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and Abraham was called by God to go and to leave that place because by leaving that place, God was going to bless him and bless the nations that would come out of him. And so what Paul does is he points back to the scriptures. Paul was a trained Pharisee. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. And so what he's doing is he's trying to help the people that are the new followers of Jesus in the region of Galatia. He's going to say, you know what? I'm going to bring it back to the beginning because you guys missed the point. So he says it like this. Continuing back in the word of God, we need to read it like this. And Paul is referring to Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 3 says it like this, and Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then God said to Abraham, so your offspring shall be. And here's the key to what actually happened. It wasn't because Abraham left or it wasn't because Abraham sacrificed Isaac. It wasn't everything according to Jewish history. It was according to this one key verse. In verse 6 it says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul is appealing to the Galatians and he's saying, I know many of you are following still in the steps of Judaism, and many of you still use the tenets of the Abrahamic Code and the Torah, but I'm going to be clear with you. Abraham was saved by faith. 
So if Abraham, the father of Israel, the father, the father of Judaism, the clear delineation of the line of Jesus, if Abraham was saved by faith, everyone, therefore, will be saved by faith. Not by works, not how much you can pay to church, not how much community service you can do, not the scales of life as long as your good scale outweighs your bad scale. The righteousness of God comes through faith and faith alone. Or if you're a church historian, it's sola fide, the idea that faith alone saves us. And so continuing forward, Paul doesn't just use the Abrahamic argument, he also uses the argument from the book of Romans. And he explains this because if you have been around church for a little bit or maybe you haven't read the Bible before, I want to encourage you. Romans is a beautiful, beautiful book that explains deeply the principles of doctrine and faith. And what Paul does is he's writing to the Roman people and he's explaining to them the critical component of what it means to understand Abraham's backstory when it comes to that moment that it was credited to him as righteousness. Because for some of us, we don't understand a lot about Jewish history, but most of us are familiar with the idea of circumcision because you've probably had a kid before and you had to make that decision and maybe you've never thought of your thought to yourself why is circumcision a thing well circumcision back in the old testament was a given instruction to the israelite people by yahweh to help people to understand that this is a symbol of a heart reality that god is trying to invite himself into his people and so the circumcision of flesh is a symbol of what God wants is a circumcision of heart, a grafted heart filled by the Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul's trying to do is he uses this understanding, using Abraham and the understanding of circumcision in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 10, if you're following along in the app, it'll walk you through this and it's going to come on the screen. It says, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. How many of you were in a part of debate club? Okay, I got one. I got a couple. Okay. Okay. The debate's over. It's done. Paul shut it down. If you think that Abraham was saved because of his works, Paul just walked through the entire argument. No. Back in the book of Genesis, it says from these truths that Abraham was counted as righteous because of his belief, his faith. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, you want to go a little bit more awkward, let's talk about the circumcision part. He wasn't circumcised when he was justified, when he was credited as righteous, because he could be the father of all. And so that's why when we read in Galatians chapter 3 tonight, when he talks about the sons and the daughters of faith, it comes from a man that before he was the father Abraham, he was a son that followed the eternal father. He stepped out in faith. He left the land that he didn't know for a land unknown to have a child he didn't know he was going to have. 
That is walking in faith. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to help the people of Galatia to understand it's not by works because we always default to works. We're trained for this. For some of us, we can use it simply as the analogy of being paid for your hours versus being paid by salary. If you're an hourly worker, you've got to work to get your wages. So you are working to earn your wages. So for some of us, that's the way we see life is in order for God to give me my wages of holiness, I have to work and work and work until my wages are secure. But what I want to do is help you to understand it's not how many hours you can log. It's not how many nights of sleeplessness can you log so you can brag about how much you hustle. It's God has already provided the provision of the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. You just need to receive it through belief. You don't have to work to earn it. And so he wants you and I to understand this deep principle because if we get this wrong, everything else is wrong. If you get faith in Jesus Christ wrong, I don't care what your beliefs are about baptism. I don't care what your beliefs are about the fillings of the Holy Spirit. I don't care about your secondary and your tertiary doctrinal points. If we get the primary doctrine, the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong, we are good as dead. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to weed out this bad teaching that's coming to the Galatian people these false teachers that came in, these mystics that were trying to teach them these new mysticism type of beliefs. That's why he uses the word bewitched. And so he's trying to help the people to understand that now with the Roman argument concluded, he continues on using the rest of this passage tonight in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says it like this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And in verse 12, But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And if you walk away from tonight, there's a couple things I want you to get, and it just... If we get faith wrong, we get everything wrong. That's why people hate the church. It's because I've got to go to church every week. I've got to drop my money in the tithe bucket. I've got to make sure that I'm volunteering for the poor. I've got to make sure that I get my child christened, baptized at the right age. Because if I don't, God's not going to bless me. Like this, this works-based religion doesn't work because it never worked. The whole idea of the Old Testament, the Torah, the idea that we see in the New Testament is that the Torah was supposed to be a way to point us that no one could ever fulfill the law. There's only one that could fulfill the law, and that was Jesus. God himself is the only one that could fulfill the law. So when we feel like we're not enough, God knew we weren't enough, but he was enough for us. By providing his son Jesus. And so what Paul is trying to do is to help us understand that. And this is, this is one of my life mantras. Like, if you hang around with me long enough, I'm probably going to say this phrase to you 10,000 times, and I don't care. Because this means the world to me. It's this idea that because of what Jesus Christ did, I do not work for my faith. 
We, as people of Jesus, are supposed to work from our faith, not for it. It's a completely different mentality. Because of what Jesus Christ did for me, I'm going to go love and be a good neighbor to other people. I want to genuinely care for and bless the city of Miami because I love this city. It's a beautiful city filled with amazing people from all over the world, and I love what it has brought to me. It's brought me my calling. It's brought me my bride. It's brought me my daughter. It's brought me my church. I love my church, and I love my city, and I love my God. And from my faith, I will work my hardest because of what he did for me. Not so that I earn it. Because, man, let's just be clear. I can't earn it. But let me also remind you, you can't earn it either. Hopefully that's a wave of relief. Because many of you maybe grew up in religious traditions where the idea was you had to have your religious score sheet and you had to have all the stickers on it. You had to make sure that you were an altar child or you had to make sure that you went away to Bible camp. For some of you that went to those, those are awesome. Sarcastic. Um, Awanas, whatever it was. Like whatever religious tradition you grew up in, what happens is the tools of our childhood that were meant to be instructional guides become the religious strongholds we cling to. Don't get me wrong. I love the tools that our parents used and the tools that led me to the Lord, but those tools are not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. And that kind of help you understand this from another frame point as well. So this time period, the time period that this was written, it was written roughly around like 45 to 50 AD. So this was under the Roman Empire. And one of the really interesting things that the Roman leaders at this time would do is they would have these things called heralds. Some of you might know that word because that's what our newspaper is called. It's called the Miami Herald. And a herald is someone that would go into the city and would declare the good news of what the emperor had done. For those of you that don't know, everybody, our emperor and his mightiness and his greatness has just conquered a new city. And now that city is a part of the Roman Empire. And because of your faithfulness to the empire, our empire is growing and becoming greater. But what Jesus does is he doesn't come in and say, hey, I just conquered and destroyed the city and now I'm making my kingdom bigger. He says, what I'm doing is I'm killing it from the root. I'm coming to declare that I love my creation. You are made in my image. And even when my image failed, I am willing to go to the cross according to the will of the Father and give my life so that those last words that he, dis- he exclaims, that it is finished. The work of Jesus Christ completed your tension, your frustration your bitterness with religion. We are called to lose our religion. Lose the works of religion. Lose what we think is supposed to save us because if you think it's carrying your Bible, you think it's doing good things in the name of Jesus so that you can get the recognition, not Jesus, that's the works of religion. And so Paul tries to bring it home With this last major point, in verse 13, Paul writes saying this, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. And lastly, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Church, Christ was cursed so that we would not be condemned. How beautiful a Savior do we have? If all of us had to take the accounts of sin that we've committed and reconcile them before a judge, we would tremble. But you don't have to tremble. You can rejoice that God the Father loved you so much that yet while you and I were still declared condemned, he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. And a beautiful way that the scriptures say it is like this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so if you're here tonight and religion is all you know, I want to tell you, this walk that we're doing through the book of Galatians, the whole point of it is for two things. One is to help you And two, see Jesus. We want you to realize that the chains of bondage of religion are not what give you salvation. It is the work of Jesus Christ and faith in him alone. So if you're here tonight and you bluntly don't have faith, you think that God is this object or this idea, but you wouldn't say that you have faith in him, what I would encourage you to do I personally want to challenge you to wrestle with your faith. Wrestle with your doubt. We want to be a church that provides places and spaces for that. That's why we do Alpha every single week. It's a place for you to come and ask questions without condemnation so that you can wrestle with your doubts. But if you're just holding on to your doubt because you know the answer, you're just not willing to let go of it, what I want to do is just kind of bring you this last analogy To use the idea of a bridge for you and I to kind of understand this, I I, I love the idea that God created the bridge that bound us together because of his love for us. And one of my favorite places in the entire world is this place that I grew up near Virginia. It's called the Natural Bridge. If you can see it, I think we have a picture of it. So if you look at it, this is one of the seven natural wonders of the world. So this rock formation created and created this natural land bridge. And I think we have another picture of it. It's actually more beautiful. Like, this is gorgeous to me. It's this idea that, yes, there are some amazing bridges. Like the Manhattan Bridge in New York City, mm, awesome. Brooklyn Bridge, baller. Golden Gate, amazing. But this one was formed naturally for the purpose of connecting two land points. And I love it because I love nature. I grew up in Virginia, and it was such a beautiful area. You've got the mountains, you've got the beach, you've got the rivers, all that. And so there were so many opportunities to just be in awe of creation. But creation isn't pretty just for the sake of being pretty. Creation is beautiful for the sake of pointing you and I to the the personal understanding that there is a creator of that creation. And just as that bridge was created by our creator, Jesus extends his hand 
to bridge the gap for you and me. That gap is sin, the eternal separation between you and I and a holy father. And so if you're wrestling with your faith, I encourage you to wrestle until you get the answer. But if you're just holding on to your doubts because you don't want to give in, I'm encouraging you. It's a lot better to give in than trying to give up. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The good news that the heralds of the Roman Empire were never able to give, the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised Mashiach from the days of Abraham, came, was crucified, died, and rose again so that you and I can have a restored, reconciled relationship with God the Father. Let that good news be brought to your heart and let it change your life. Let us take a moment and pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for that beautiful declaration of your gospel. Father, thank you for the words that you gave to Paul to write so that the church of Galatia knew the purpose of what the true gospel was supposed to be. Father, let there be no other gospel ever spoken with Crossbridge Church. Father, I pray the words of Paul that a clear portrayal of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for us is always shared from our lips and always shared from our heart and always shared from our teaching because without a clear portrayal, a portrait, a picture of how beautiful you are, God, with your love that you gave to us through your son, Jesus, God, we can never, never understand anything beyond that. God, I come before you. I praise you and I thank you. And I thank you for this night. I thank you for all that you've done. And I thank you for all that you're going to do because of your love for us and the love of your son, Jesus. Father, I come before you and I lift us up in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.